We're going to be in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And I think it's impossible, see if you agree with this statement, I think it's impossible to have a healthy society without having healthy families. Think so? I think we could agree with that. But uh, at the same time, if we try to define what is a healthy family, I wonder if we all agree about that. You know, if you, I think most people, even non-Christians in the world would say, you know, healthy families are key. But what is a healthy family? Well, as we've been walking through Ephesians, Paul has been explaining to us what a healthy family is. And that's what we've been looking at in Ephesians 5 and now in 6. And Paul begins with that, his definition of a healthy family, by describing what a healthy Christian is. And he says a healthy Christian, according to Ephesians 5.18, is a spirit-filled Christian. Now, what is a spirit-filled Christian? Well, a spirit-filled Christian is a person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They have decided to place their trust in Jesus and not in themselves for their salvation. And they've been made right with God based on what Christ has done for them. Okay, so they are Christians and they are spirit-filled as they are submitting to the Lord daily and seeking to follow Him. That's what it means to be a spirit-filled Christian, that we are in Christ and that daily we are seeking to follow Christ. And so for us, even this morning, you know, we need to ask ourselves, one, am I a spirit-filled Christian? Do I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior? And am I seeking to follow Him daily? Then Paul goes on to define for us what a healthy family is by giving us a definition of marriage, a healthy marriage. In Ephesians 5, 22-23, we read that a healthy, spirit-filled marriage is one where the husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, and where the wife submits and respects to her, respects her husband like the church submits to Christ. We looked at that last week. And so if you're married, or maybe one day you're planning on being married, or, or maybe you will be married one day, you need to be thinking about, am I following God's design for marriage according to the Scripture? And so Paul moves from an individual's relationship with the Lord to now the husband and wife relationship. And now he's going into Ephesians 6 where he's going to talk about the parent-child relationship. You know, the role of the parent, I think we would all agree with this too, is is one of the most important roles there is. You know, Pope uh, John Paul II once said, as the family goes, so goes the nation, and so goes the whole world in which we live. I think that's a good statement. Uh, the family is important and the role of the parent is important. And I think, the, I think we'd all agree that this parent-child relationship is extremely important. But at the same time, one of the most challenging. Right? Just say, if you agree with that. Maybe. I think it is very challenging. But it is a blessing. But it's a challenge. I was talking to a mother the other day. And she said, you know, when she had her daughter uh, in the hospital... They just handed the daughter, they just handed the baby to her with no instruction manual. <laughs> just gave it to her. And she said, you know, she's only got one child. And they handed her the daughter and didn't tell her what to do with it. You know, it's like they don't come with an instruction manual. So it's difficult. It's hard. Uh, children are a blessing, but a lot of responsibility comes along with them. Uh, Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, once said this. He said, I don't know what's more exhausting about parenting. The getting up early or acting like you know what you're doing. 
you know, it's, it's a hard role, it's a, but it's a very important role. And so I want us to look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And I want us to seek to answer the question, what does it look like to be spirit-filled parents and spirit-filled children? Because remember, all this is in the context of being filled with the Spirit. So what does it look like? Well, let's look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and let's see what God's Word says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So let's begin with the children, since Paul begins with the children. Uh, children, what are your responsibilities that the Lord gives you in the family? Well, he, miss, he mentions two of them in this passage, in verses 1 and 2. First, he says, children should obey their parents. You see it in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, Paul obviously would agree that the, that the children are just as valuable as the parents and that we're all created in the image of God. And yet at the same time, what we've learned is the way we interact with each other differs, though, depending on your role. And so he says there are different roles for parents and for children. And the parents, the mom and dad, are supposed to lead their children, instruct their children, and the children are to obey their parents. And now here's what's interesting about this now. This is a universal moral absolute. I mean, can you think of any people group in the whole entire world that says, you know what? I think what we need to do is have children disobey their parents. No one believes that. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to cling to this truth because it's universal. It's just somehow woven into our moral fabric. We know children should obey their parents. I mean, everybody holds to that idea, I would say, for the most part, universally. I mean, it, this is the truth, and yet God speaks to it as well in His Word and His special revelation. So what we see is, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And so what that means is that God has put parents uh, over children to obey them, I mean, to give them instruction, to lead them, and the children are to obey them. And so therefore, as the children obey their parents... It's as if they are obeying the Lord because the parents are the authority, God-given authority over the parents. And when the child is disobeying the parents, it is as if he or she is disobeying the Lord because that is the authority that God has placed over them. Now, at the same time, kids, there are two exceptions to that. Okay, now the kids are listening. There's two times when you do not have to obey your parents. So now everybody's tuned in. First one is if your parents are, are telling you to do something ex, you know, explicitly forbidden in the Scripture. You know, if, if they're telling you to do something that God clearly says don't do it, then you can disobey your parents. Because all authority is derived authority. Right? Under the authority of God. And so if any authority misuses their authority and goes against God, then they forfeit that authority. And so you know, if you are a child and your parents are trying to force you to do something against God's word, then you may disobey your parents. Or if they're trying to keep you from doing what God ex explicitly says to do, then that would be grounds to disobey your parents because obviously parents aren't perfect. And uh, sometimes parents, just like we talked about in the marriage relationship, 
Sometimes parents can abuse their authority. And so children, if you find yourself in an abusive environment where your children are, I mean, your parents are abusing you and forcing you to do things that should not be done, then you need to come and talk to me or you can talk to your Sunday school teacher or someone in your church family and then we'll, we'll walk alongside you and seek to bring about correction to that. Uh, but as long as your parents are in line with what God says, you are to obey them. You are to obey them when they tell you what to wear, what to watch, what to do. Because they are the authority God has placed over you. And Paul says, for this is right. And all the parents said, amen. Okay, so second. All right, you've got obey your parents. The second one, though, um, because what's interesting is that all of us are children. Right? We've all had parents. Uh, yet that first command to obey our parents obviously tends to phase out over time, right, as you become an adult. However, the second one tends to endure. And that is the second responsibility of the child is to honor your parents. Look at verses 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So what is the difference between honor and obedience? Well, one commentator explained it this way. Your honor is the attitude behind the action. Act is, the action is the obedience. Honor is the attitude. So remember that an act without the proper attitude is hypocrisy. So if, if you do what your parents tell you to do, but you hate it and you're unwilling and nasty about it, then you're a hypocrite. If you do what your parents tell you to do, but you're bitter, fearful, reluctant, and selfish, that's not the right spirit. He goes on to say, God is after the, the attitude much more than he is the act. Because if the attitude is right, the act will follow. But a right act with a wrong attitude is nothing but hypocrisy. And I'll add that, like I said earlier, obedience obviously fades out over time as you become an adult. However, honor continues uh, onward. And so children, no matter what our age is, we're all children to parents. Uh, we should seek to honor our parents. And one of the ways this really shows itself, especially later in life, as we continually show respect to our parents, doesn't mean we always agree with our parents, but we do show respect to our parents and especially as our parents age, you know, how we honor them, you know, that, that will, our honor for them will guide us and how we care for them and come alongside them. And I know many of you in this church have, have done that and done that well. You've come alongside your parents and you've honored them and how you care for them. And many of you will be, go, will be dealing with that as you seek to care for them in the future and honor them in different ways. So... Honor your parents. Secondly, obey your parents. So, that's what spirit-filled children do. They obey their parents. They honor their parents. And so now let's turn to the parents. Parents, what responsibilities has God given you in the family? Well, we see at least two here in the passage. One through implication, and then the other uh, is applied specifically to the fathers. But the first one through implication applies both to the father and the mother. Look at verse 1 again. We read, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Notice it says, obey your parents, plural, which means both father and mother are given instruction 
Right? Both father and mother are seeking to raise the children together. And the children are to obey both parents as they both instruct the children. Now, I want to give you a, uh, an illustration of maybe what not to do here. Uh, the Houston Police Department years ago put out a leaflet called How to Ruin Your Children. Okay, so if you want to ruin your children, here are the five principles you need to follow. First, begin with infancy to give the child everything he wants. Principle number one. Principle number two, when he picks up bad words, laugh at him like it's cute. Okay. Principle number three, never give him any spiritual training. Just wait till he turns 21 and let him figure it out for himself. Principle number four, avoid using the word wrong because you may give him some guilt complex. And principle number five, pick up everything he leaves lying around so he will be experienced in throwing responsibility to everyone else. So if you can do those five things, at least they say it's 99% effective that you make to ruin your children. Uh, so that's how you ruin your children. But as spirit-filled parents, obviously we don't want to do that, right? As spirit-filled parents, we want to be instructing our children in what is good and right and true. And the latter part of verse 4, we read that the fathers should bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So yes, we should make sure they learn English and mathematics and science and the skills they need. But most importantly here, we see that we should be teaching them about the Lord. I mean, that is the responsibility of the parents, primarily. You know, when the Supreme Court handed down its ruling against required prayer in public schools, and some of you may even remember when uh, prayer was part of the public school system, the famous editorial cartoonist, Herblock, published a cartoon in the Washington Post showing an angry father holding up a newspaper and shouting, what do they expect us to do? Listen to the kids pray at home? <laughs> Paul's like, well, yeah, that's exactly what they should be doing. You know, we don't, need, we don't need prayer in the schools to teach our children to pray. Right? That's the job of the parents. The parents should be teaching their children to pray by modeling that and ensuring they have the instruction they need. And, and the church plays a part, obviously. Your Sunday school teacher. Uh, schools play a part. Uh, the church family plays a part, absolutely. Uh, but ultimately, it falls to the parents to make sure they have instruction, and specifically instruction in the Lord. So the first responsibility of parents is to instruct their children. The second responsibility we see in the passage, Paul directs specifically to the fathers. And Paul singles out the fathers, and he tells them that they should be careful when they are instructing and disciplining their children, that they do not provoke their children to anger. And it's important to understand why Paul is really getting at the fathers here, especially as we look at the context, I think we'll understand it even more. So I want to I just unpack a little bit of the context of first century Rome. One commentator explained it this way. He said, In Roman civilization, contemporary with Paul, there existed certain features which made life perilous for the child. There was the Roman patria potestas, the father's power. Under the patria potestas, a Roman father had absolute power over his family. 
He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in his fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands, for the law was in his own hands, and punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child. Further, the power of the Roman father extended over the child's whole life so far as the father lived. So the father was granted absolute authority by the state over his family. Uh, So obviously you could see there could be some misuse of that authority, right? And so that's what, that's the context Paul is speaking into the families in Ephesus. And he's saying, you know, fathers, as you raise your children, don't raise them like some evil dictator. I mean, you're not to provoke them to anger, but you should be seeking to raise them, nurture them for their good and help them to become who God wants them to be. Not just wielding some scepter like some uh, dictator. So Paul's telling us who are fathers that we should not misuse our role and provoke our children to anger. So, you know, to, to provoke someone is to, to cause them to be angry or to be bitter, uh, to be full of resentment. It's the opposite of what Paul actually tells the fathers to do, which is to bring them up. He says you need to bring them up. Calvin translated this, let them be fondly cherished. It carries with it the idea of nurturing. It's not just a taskmaster, but it's a loving, tender care. You're nurturing, you're building them up, you're helping them to become something. And we know this requires godly discernment in how you do this, right? Because you have to be firm at times. And you have to be very soft at times, but it requires discernment. But the motivation shouldn't be just a strict slave driver, but rather the motivation is I am trying to help this child become who God wants them to be. And I just want to share one story that may illustrate this and highlight the need for discernment. There's a little boy named Benjamin West, and he was trying to be a good babysitter to his little sister, Sally. Now, while his mother was out, Benjamin found some bottles of colored ink and proceeded to paint Sally's portrait. You know, what could go wrong? But by the time Miss West returned, mom came home. She saw ink blots stain the table, chairs, and the floor. Reminds me of some um, encounters we've had with slime in our household. I don't know if you can relate to that. But anyway, uh, Benjamin's mom comes home. She sees all this ink everywhere. And Benjamin's mother surveys the the mess. Doesn't say anything. And then she notices the picture that he was painting. And she picks up the picture and she exclaimed, Why, it's Sally. And she bent down and kissed her young son. In 1763, Benjamin West was 25 years old, and he was selected as history painter to England's King George III. He became one of the most celebrated artists of his day. And commenting on how he began his painting career, he said, My mother's kiss made me a painter. Her encouragement did far more than a rebuke ever could have done. And so the Apostle Paul instructs parents, and especially fathers, you know, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, it's easy to notice a wrong in a child. 
But we also need to be able to notice and encourage the good. And it is a challenge. It's a challenge to raise children according to God's standards. You know, we need godly discernment, spirit-filled discernment to know when to say, it's a mess, and say, oh, look, it looks like Sally. (laughs) You need discernment whether you respond one way or the other, whether you uh, discipline or you lean in with a kiss. You know, Martin Luther used to say, spare the rod, spoil the child. That is true. But then he go on to say, but beside the rod, keep an apple to give him when he has done well. And so spirit-filled parenting involves encouragement and discipline, instruction and correction, affection and truth. And the only way we can, we can parent this way, which is in the whole context of this passage, remember, the only way we can parent that way is to be spirit-filled. Is to know the Lord and depend on the Lord to give us the discernment to actually parent in this manner to help Him be who God wants us to be as individuals, as husband and wife, as mother and father, and as children. I want to end with a, a quote from Mother Teresa who once said, What can you do to promote world peace? What can you do? She said, Go home and love your family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word this morning from Ephesians that speaks to us as children. We're all children. We're your children. And we're also children of parents. Lord, help us to uh, obey them, respect them, honor them. Uh, Lord, as as your church, Lord, help us to instruct and and bring up children, whether they're, they're ours or not. If they are part of the church family, help us to raise them to know you, to walk with you. Lord, as parents, help us to uh, instruct and discipline. and um, Lord, give us wisdom in doing that. That our children may know you and just become who you want them to be, who you designed them to be. And help us as fathers uh, not to provoke our children to anger. Help us to use our role in God-given ways and in ways that seek the good of our children and seek to help them become who you want them to be. Lord, I pray that the Hill Baptist Church would be a place where children are valued and they're taught your truth and they're encouraged to become who you want them to be. Lord, help us to be a church family that continues to value that. I know we do and I know uh, we have. I pray that we would continue to uh, cling to this truth and put it into practice in our church as well as in our family lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.